This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. That's bwhustle.com join. Check out our description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? We are back, this time without our fearless co-host, Adam Frommel. We are, however, super excited, as usual, to be joined by frequent guest, and a friend of the podcast, Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes. Follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes. We're going to, we're rebranding Factor Fiction, even though our outline is basically buy or sell or Factor Fiction. This is truth or trash on either things we believe, um, hot takey things maybe, or just things that we've noticed that other people are saying to have a discussion about it. But it's, it's truth or trash. Before we get started, though, the most important question of the night. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. And uh, it's all content, Dan. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's just it's just hashtag content. Right, but we need to we need to rebrand it to give the appearance of it being <laughs> fresh and new and unique. Let the let the takes be fresh. We don't have, you know what whatever. I, I get it. I get it. We gotta we gotta jazz it up. Um, we, we were talking before we started though about you know you sent me yours like just before we started and I realized how much overlap we had so I like quickly pivoted in some areas uh, but as you mentioned like at the top it feels like the league pecking order to me or at least I mentioned feels more disjointed than normal but as you were mentioning it feels like very hard to avoid groupthink at the moment as well. Yeah because I mean I don't know about how you approach this but sort of I just kind of went through some of the basic. I don't know, you know, just sort by net rating or look at teams' records or look at offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency and sort of kind of say, well, which one of these things doesn't belong? And you see Cleveland way up high in defensive efficiency or Atlanta way up there in net rating and say like, okay, well, based on my priors or what I thought things would look like early in the year or before the year, this is different. And I think there was so much groupthink prior to the season that everybody's kind of arriving at the same 
thing for the answer to which one of these doesn't belong. So I think that's part of it. But but yeah, like another quality of this season coming in was, you know, there were the Lakers and the Clippers and I guess the Bucks, you know, way up at the top, I think probably would have been the consensus. And there's like a dozen teams in that second. Like I could imagine this team being in a conference right. final. Um, and And I think that sort of, you know, that's there are not a dozen teams that can be in a conference final just seen that way. And so kind of pulling those apart and organizing those is really hard, especially obviously this early when another thing we talked about was like one game or one big night. Like Luca had a triple double tonight and easily going into this, one of the buy or sells or factor fictions could have been, well, Luca doesn't look right. And now it's like, okay, well, one game and now we're sort of back to our baselines on it. So so yeah, to your point, it's just kind of tough to to really separate things this early. I'm going to throw one at you really early and phrase it this way. Um, truth, trash, or talk to me later. The Phoenix Suns are a top three contender. I mean, that has to be a talk to me later, but but it's closer to truth than trash. Uh, I mean, and, you know, just put the, the numbers aside. I think looking at the makeup of the roster going into this year, you would have said, like, what don't they have? You know, and I think maybe backup point guard would have been something to talk about, whether that matters or not when you have Devin Booker that could handle if, if or, you know, play make if Chris Paul missed time. But campaign looks really good. Yeah. I don't know how much you've watched him, but the bubble stuff, when he proved last year that he was not kind of a, uh, you know, overdrafted, that's all carried over. He's been really good. So, I mean, they have length on the wings. They have... Aiton, who seems content to be like a third option, just pick and pop guy or pick and roll guy. Uh, and they have stars. They just, they're just like, they, I don't know what their weakness is. So, I mean, I guess I think they're probably a realistic uh, top four in the West team. Um, I don't know about top three contender, although like how different are those two things really? Like we maybe we we're just kind of it's, it's an issue of degree between us as opposed to like a disagreement. Yeah, so I went with truth, obviously, because some of these, again, I wasn't sure where I fell on them. I just saw them being talked about. This was not one of them. This is one I'm introducing. The way that they're playing feels like very playoff ready. Uh, We'll probably see more Mm. of Chris Paul and Devin Booker playing together in the postseason, which can probably only be a good thing. And they'll have just more chemistry at that point. Right now, from the games I've watched of theirs, it does feel very my turn, your turn when they're on the court. But when they're two of the most lethal off the dribble scorers in the league, that's mostly fine. The thing. I think I'm mostly impressed with it. They're playing, this is per unpredictable, at the league's slowest pace. That's the, I'm just going by average time of their possession. That's fine when you're looking at them having Chris Paul and Devin Booker and just being able to dissect defenses. That might help them in the postseason. I would kind of like them to see, like, to see a little bit more variance there, though. Like when they have, you know, a Dario Sarge at the five for those second string units, I'd like to see them play faster than we've seen this season just to give them that element of variance, like I said. And as you mentioned, I simultaneously look at their depth chart and I'm like, yeah, they have everything, but you could also pick out ways in which there might be holes like come later on where it's, um, I'm not as worried about backup point guard because Payne's been playing so well and Javon Carter is going to start shooting better. Um, backup five is maybe an issue. Like does Dario Sarge get you by there in the playoffs? You don't want to have to get to a point where Damian Jones or Frank Kaminsky actually matter 
in your rotation there. And then even the, not so much this, but the secondary wing rotation could get weird because there's Cam Johnson and then there's who? Like Jalen Smith, I guess, is your backup four. Uh, we haven't seen Abdel Nader yet, or at least I haven't. I believe he's still injured. Etwan Moore is fine. But that's also where you feel like confidence. Like Langston Galloway has been good for them in moments. And like they have him super cheap. So they're, they're I think, deeper in the aggregate than they receive credit for over the the offseason and I feel like they're built to really be in the playoffs and the reason I settled on top three is you sort of mentioned it if you're top three in the west like you're kind of in top three already because who would you put peg as your top contenders right now I'm giving the Lakers the benefit of the doubt because it feels like they're just sleepwalking their way to victories at this point so they'll turn it up do you put the Clippers there or the Sixers at number two I just feel like every single spot beneath the Lakers is suddenly up for grabs and you know, teams like the Bucks and even the Nuggets and the Clippers, like they haven't seized onto that territory like a lot of people thought that they would. The Mavericks included, too. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I do think the, the Lakers get here's our first tangent. How many minutes in are we? Um, <laughs> the, the, the Lakers thing made me think of something, which is that I think a team like them, who I, I think still even even though this is the case, have looked like the best team. Um I think a lot of teams that sort of know who they are, that are fairly well intact, and there's a lot of continuity from last year and are, are very good, will treat and have been treating this season like the last you know handful of games in a regular season where it's like, look, we, we just need to once every week or so prove that we have our fastball. And then otherwise, we're kind of like, we're going to get blown out by 30 to a lottery team, which that's another thing. The blowouts this year have been nuts. But but I think we're going to see a lot of that because the way this season is set up, you know, the Lakers are just going to coast and the Bucks are, you know, all these teams and even maybe teams that don't, that don't have a right to or aren't good enough to do that, like Denver comes to mind, to not really take every game seriously are doing that. And so I, I think the Suns, to me, don't fall into that category because they, they haven't proved anything. And they've got a lot of guys that, that, you know, this is a big season for them. It's a big season for Booker. It might be Paul's last good season. I don't know. Um, so I think that that really is more ammo for your for your point of that being truth, is that the Suns are not one of these teams that have an established identity, that can coast, that can get blown out and not care and act like it's not a big deal because we've done it. So I think, you know, that, that you, you may end up being right on that for, I mean, among many reasons, but that one. What do you have for me? Is jo- uh, Truth or trash, Joel Embiid is a top – I'm kind of cheating on an article that's going to come out that I did uh, pretty soon, but I'll just say is a top three MVP candidate. Ooh. And I'll, I'll give you – you go ahead and give me your answer, and then I'll give you my justification. I would probably go trash just because I wonder if he plays in enough games to make it to that level. It would be just my primary justification against it. That is the absolute best justification against it, and it's why this is probably a borderline hot take. But um, I, I'm going with truth. I'm going to have something coming out that uh, he's going to be my number one MVP candidate. Not a prediction, but of of the whatever it is, seven, six, seven, eight games that most teams have played so far, who, who if the season ended today and you gave the award out, would be MVP. I think it's him. Um, I just think that this mix – of Sixers talent as everybody's thought before the season works. Uh, and their defense is the best in the league. I watched most of the, the Sixers Hornets game tonight, which was a blowout and Embiid didn't even play the fourth quarter, but, and he didn't have a great statistical game. It was like 14 and 11 or something, but 
it seems really clear to me that he sort of shored up a couple of the issues that held him back. Now, conditioning and health are the two that are the biggest ones, but he's a little bit harder to double now. He doesn't just panic or, you know, turn into two guys. He's moving the ball and they have shooters. So that's going to get them wins and it's going to be directly because of him drawing extra guys defensively the hornets like don't even look at the basket all night tonight when he's in there and so if his block numbers are low and this is the case already the sixers have an awesome rim defense in terms of both frequency of opponent attempts and accuracy like he's just him being there is kind of a gobert effect you don't try to shoot and if you do try to shoot he's in your head enough that if he doesn't block it he affects the miss he's scoring like crazy he's got all these like bullshit foul drawing tricks that are just on another level now so yeah, if he's, it's it's kind of stupid to think that he's going to play enough games because he just sort of never has, and he's always had conditioning problems. But from what I've seen so far, um, I'm kind of ready to buy or, or call it truth or just buy into him as an MVP, you know, top top end MVP candidate. Also because guys like LeBron, maybe even Giannis, even though Giannis is playing a ton of minutes uh, relative to what he's done in the past, um, I think are going to take take it easy. The Sixers are another team like the Suns who sort of like, I mean, especially since they might blow it up if they disappoint, like they have incentive to go for this. So if there's going to be a year where Embiid plays a lot and is really effective, I think this could potentially be it. Yeah. I think what I need to see is that the Sixers and I bought into them before the season. So this would be me being wrong if this doesn't pan out, but like, look at who they've beaten this year yeah right <laughs> so um it does help his mvp case that the one loss that they have came in the game that he sat out like that's a boon if they, you know if he sits out like once every eight games and they just lose that game that's a that's a boon for his mvp stock so i see a path to him being there but i feel like that's always been the case where it's like well if he played enough he could be right there maybe in this season there's like a better way of of doing it but i would also argue like the potential pitfalls of you know, if they do make a trade for James Harden, which again, if they continue playing like this, why would they like, that's going to just throw him for a world too. Like we're going to probably see him impacted and there'll be the element of James Harden cannibalizing some MVP votes there. There's just too many minefields here for me to, for me to call this the truth right now. Have you, do you have a, like a, I mean, it's too early for any of this, but do you have like, if you, if you gun to your head, who's your MVP prediction? Like who's set up, you know, to, to, cause if it's not Embiid or if it, you know, obviously those are, there are a lot of good reasons it wouldn't be him, but is it just Giannis again, based on the so, numbers he's going to put up? So Tatum, Tatum was my preseason pick. Um, I could see Trey Young being there right now, even though the Hawks was- offense is kind of imploded in the fourth quarter. Um, I, my Tatum stock is like, I don't think it's terrible, but it's, it can't be him. If we were to vote right now, I could see it maybe being Embiid at that point. I think you could probably also make a case for James Harden, ironically, as, as funny as that is, even though the... See, he's only played four games, though. Like It is seven was... games, and the Rockets have only played four <laughs> games themselves, though. <laughs> no, Trey Young is interesting. Uh, I, I like I, He's, he's going to be on my honorable mention when I... Brandon oh, Ingram knows. could probably get some love in that conversation, too. He looks good. It's just too bad Jason Tatum's the second best player on his team now. That should be another of our truth or trash is Jalen Brown for real. Uh, it is, actually. I have, so let's do it. Let's do it. I have truth, trash, or talk to me later. Jalen Brown is a top 25 player. Oh, that's such a ridiculous number, top 25. 
I'll say truth. Um, I, I mean, some of it. I'll move it up. I'm ready to go. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's a. I don't. I, I don't know what my top twenty five are, but um, no. Yeah, the 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 shooting is going to regress. Obviously. Would you uh, like to know what he's shooting on pull up twos? I would like to know. Seventy seven point four percent. That seems sustainable to me, Dan. Yeah, I, he might go up to eighty. I would think. <laughs> yeah, no, he. I do think just from the from what I've seen, um, he. It isn't just hot shooting that's different. I mean, that's the main driver of the, the numbers, obviously. But um, he's developing. It's happened kind of incrementally, um, but he now is making passes that he couldn't have made before, especially in transition. He's really. Jared Weiss did a good write-up of this uh, recently for The Athletic. And they just there, there are passes that he's, one, seeing that he didn't used to see. And, and he's got the ability to make them with either hand on the move. Where before, you know, when he came into the league, I distinctly remember he was purely a straight-line driver who would just try to dunk over everybody. And he's developed so much more craft. And, and I think as, you know, as a top 25 guy – like he, I mean, you could have made the case he was up there last year potentially. Um, but but yeah, I, I I think I I think that's true. I think he's top twenty five. I've sort of talked myself into it, even if I think we agree that the shooting on on pull up jumpers and, and twos in particular, like that's just you know obviously going to come way down. Yeah, the question for him would be well, the efficiency obviously, but he's always been or at least the past two seasons efficient in these like off the catch situations and he can be a threat in transition. And even when he gets tunnel vision on his drives, like he's someone on Boston who can at least put uh, consistent pressure on the rim relative to the personnel they have. The question would be though, what happens when Kemba Walker comes back is how does the facilitation sustain? And I think we've seen just looking at what's happened with his turnovers this year is that because he's trying to be more of a facilitator, he's making those mistakes, but that's all, that's almost a good thing. Uh, the Kemba Walker stuff, I think he can fit. His offense will be fine. And the fact that you might have someone after losing Gordon Hayward who could work off the dribble, like there'll just be plenty of touches to go around would be my guess. And Boston desperately actually just needs like some diversification there. But that would be the, the big question mark. What I did find interesting is that they have not like increased his pick and roll volume. Last year, it doubled from the season before. It's basically held steady since then. And they've been efficient in those situations, but it leads back to it. I kind of noticed it towards later of last season and you see it now. It's just like, there's a better feel like from st- like, it's not yeah. even just in transition to me, but like in those set spots where he has to make different choices where it's not just going to the rim, it's making less complicated passes or deciding to take a different kind of shot. There just seems to be a better feel there. And maybe that stuff is tougher to, to quantify, but that guy top 25, like maybe is that even a cop out at this point? Because I think he was, when we did the Bleacher Report rankings, which you participated in, uh, top 100 before the season, I think he was at like 35 or something. But t- going from 35 to 25 is like a pretty substantive jump. Oh, yeah, because then you're talking uh, legit all-NBA consideration at, at like a, a possibly difficult position to get it at. Um, but I think he – he th- I thought about this watching Embiid tonight too and just like to, to what you were talking about, there's just better feel. And, and then I went and looked and I was like – Embiid's 26. Like, we're just, we just don't give these guys enough time. You know, we, we want to make these judgments of like what Andrew kind of Wiggins players had enough is. time. That's where this well, is going. Okay. <laughs> 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 I would argue Andrew Wiggins is at too much time. Uh, but like, Brown's 24 and this is his fifth year. Like, this, I, I just, it, it, it's so striking to me. It feels like he's been around forever. It feels like we've decided what he is. And same with Embiid, same with all these guys. That when you come into the league at 19, 
and really, maybe this is just going to be about James Wiseman, and we think we know what you are, you, there, it's not close. Like, there's just, it takes a half a decade, really, before someone like like Brown, who obviously was talented, kind of gets closer to the type of player he's going to be. Um, but maybe this is going to be the sloppiest segue ever, but I want to get to Pascal Siakam and the Raptors now, and because Siakam was someone that we sort of, I got suckered into thinking like this growth trajectory was just limitless because he made Same. such big leaps. And now uh, he's just lost. And the Raptors are the only, I think the Raptors are the only team with one win. Nobody has zero. I think they're the only one win team right now because they just lost again tonight. Yeah, yeah. you are correct. Uh, the Pistons oh, the are Pistons. one was, and six and the Raptors about, are one and five. I was talking about NBA teams. And so, Hey, Jeremy Grant is making us all look like fools. Is he though? Because He's, maybe this is what happens when you give a guy who should be a fifth option, like second option duties. It just like uh, so for me personally, maybe I haven't watched Jeremy Grant closely enough over the past half decade, but I never saw the type of player that could put the ball on the floor like he's been in no. Detroit. And the fact yeah. that he's doing it amid like less than ideal spacing too is just because it, it took forever for Shvi to start hitting threes. So and Jeremy Grant was still getting buckets then. So I have been. I still don't. You know, if Detroit eventually flips him or something, I don't know that I understand the logic of him being there unless you're going to move Blake Griffin soon. Uh, so that's still questionable to me. But Jeremy Grant betting on himself, I called it a dumb decision. I said I would have taken the money and stayed with a contender. He's making someone like me look like a fool. So I'll see. Don't don't do this yet, though, because you probably are still going to be right. It's just it's just a handful of games. But you're right. No, he's done much more. It, the, the the whole thing was like he just wanted. I assume because the money was equal that Denver was, was offering. He just wanted a bigger role. And, it, and everybody thought it like Denver, it was going to MPJ before it was going. Exactly. To him. And everybody thought, well, he can't do that, uh, but so far so good for him, but no, but so the Raptors, like I have a sort of a blanket. I'm in, I'm just in the bag for them. I overrated them in the playoffs last year. I thought they were like a fringe title threat. Uh, I was just, I don't know what the point is at which I would panic about them. Cause I think they're so well coached. I just think they have a lot of I, – I like Van Vliet. I like OG Ananobi maybe too much. I, I like Siakam. I love Kyle Lowry. Um, you love Chris Boucher, who's been closing games for them and looks really good. Uh, I just He's probably been like their fourth or fifth best player, which is a problem because that's in front of Siakam at the moment. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. But they're one in five. And, and Siakam has just been – in addition to getting you know benched for disciplinary reasons, which is – that's a rough look. Um, but yes, let's keep Terrence Davis active. That's the move. Sure. He's been bad. I, so I just, uh, I don't know. I, I just, is truth or trash? The Raptors are going to struggle to make the playoffs is because is that, is that where we are? Yeah. So because they've looked like one of the worst teams in the league. So I, my, this is one of the ones we overlapped on, but I kept it was truth or trash. Pascal Siakam is plateaued or this is, it's time to panic. I called trash on that, and I'll call trash on the playoffs thing. I ultimately think they're going to be fine. If they miss the playoffs, I think it's because they steer out of it, like earlier, where it's, oh, Kyle Lowry, they decided to make a move like that. I would My gut right now tells me they are more likely to trade for James Harden than they are to trade Kyle Lowry and just become sellers. That's just where my gut is right now. Some of this stuff is a legitimate issue. Like Their half-court offense is going to be a problem, even if Pascal Siakam is Pascal Siakam from you know, let's say the first part of last year, they're just not outside of transition. They're not going to be able to put a ton of pressure on the rim. And that's always been kind of an issue with them. Yeah. 
not new. What's sort of encouraging for me, and I, it's in part because Siakam has been so bad, I feel like there are just elements where it's easy to improve or or get away from this, where it's he's shooting under 40% on layups right now. That's not going yeah. to stand. Uh, he's shooting under 26% on above-the-break threes, under 26% on wide-open threes. And just knowing what we've seen the past two seasons from him, it feels like that number is going to progress to a, a higher mean. There are things that he does legitimately have to change. Like He does not look more comfortable dribbling in traffic, and that's why teams feel like they're switching anyone they want on him. But it's also like, you know, maybe he'll eventually stop just spinning to the like going to the right and spinning all the time uselessly. I have faith that maybe, again, the improvement trajectory that you and I um, bought into maybe snorted a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that clearly doesn't exist like he's probably was last year or, you know, the early part of last year. Was that his peak? Maybe. Um, but we also have seen his efficiency decline as his usage went up. I think it's okay to be concerned. I'm not at panic yet because I think he's going to get better. And I think this team is going to be just fine. They still just have a lot of the tools defensively. I will say I'd like to see them just lean into the to the smaller lineups more. Um, and I think we've seen that at least a little bit more recently. But, you know, we don't need to see or I'm like, I don't need to see Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher play at the same time. Like, I know that you're going to have rebounding problems then, but you're going to have rebounding problems anyway. And so there's no reason that 88% of Siakam's minutes should be coming at the four, like throw them at the five and just mismatch the hell out of this thing on offense would be my, would be my gut feeling at the moment. Yeah. You know, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I can't relinquish my like just unflinching faith in the Raptors just because of this, but you say Siakam's numbers have to get better, and they do because as I'm looking at it now, this is this doesn't include tonight's game. But at his among bigs, his points per shot attempt on cleaning the glass is in the third percentile, and his usage low? rate is in is That's in the than one. <laughs> so there are worse guys, but there are none. I I would suggest I suspect there are none that have a third percentage third percentile points per shot attempt and usage percentage in the 88th percentile. That is a lot of bad offensive basketball. So, yes, they're going to get better. Siakam will get better. But I do think you you, you touched on that uh, that incredible stretch went last year when early on when it seemed like, oh, this guy, I mean, there's just no ceiling. I don't know if he's going to get back to that um, because that just seemed, that, that, you know, guys don't get better forever. I think at mm-hmm. some point you're just that you are where you are. And, he he is a kind of a late starter. He's he's gonna be what is he? He's almost twenty seven. So you know, like and through all this, like they've their rebounding has been shitty, and they're they're fouling a ton, and they're still seventh in points allowed per possessions. So, like the defense is there for this team already, and that's with them like kind of you know Pascal Siakam not playing a game or him not uh, he fouled out I think twice already this season, and so like that's with those issues being baked in there too. Yeah, I think too. The, the, one of those we didn't even talk about this. Their shot profile is bonkers. They're taking a ton of threes. They're second, I think, in three point attempt frequency. They were first, and maybe this is including last night's numbers too. Um, so their effective field goal percentage is twenty sixth in the league based on their shot locations. If they shot those at an at league average rate, they'd be ninth. So <laughs> bad luck throwing throwing bad luck too. So on top of all that other stuff, um, the, the Raptors ain't dead. Don't bury them. Uh- Truth, trash, or talk to me later, one of Dallas or Denver is going to implode this season in the sense that their floor 
one of their floors is going to be exponentially lower than we thought. I'm going to say trash. Um, and that's tough because Denver has been so bad defensively. And, and I don't know what the fix is. And, and, but they're just, they just, they're a team I throw them in this group. And, and again, I don't know that they deserve to feel this way because I, I think in hindsight, their run, their playoff run was lucky. They, you know, if, I mean, you drop down three to one twice. That doesn't happen right. necessarily by accident. Yeah. Right. But they, they've sort of been on. And what's weird is Jokic usually starts like someone who just like hit the snooze bar on the season. And he's been awesome, at least offensively. And in terms of his statistical production, um, but defensively, they're not there. Um, you know this has to be driving Mike Malone nuts because all he's ever wanted is to have a defense-first team. And that like Denver was never going to be that team, but they're really not now. And and like they've had they've had bouts of this before. There's with actually a lot of the same roster now that I think of it, where they'll have these stretches where they just you know they're in the bottom five defensively, doing power rankings for all those years. It was constantly just. Well, if Denver could get it together defensively, they're a top six team or whatever, you know. But they, they and so, and then they would. They play great defense for a little while. This feels a little different. I think implode is too strong. I just think they they know who they are. They're another one of those teams to get back to that idea that I think they believe in their fastball and just collectively they had a deep playoff run. They're probably about as wiped as any team that didn't make it to the finals, considering the stress of what they went through. So I'm not ready to, to give in on that. And then for Dallas, I guess I just believe in Luca too much, even if he looks a little heavy and until tonight had not played well at all. Um, the three point shooting with him is just weird. I don't understand. I guess he takes too many tough ones, but it's been awful all year. And even in his good game tonight, he was three of 10. Um, I, I just think there's Dallas is too well coached. They're going to get Porzingis back. That's going to help. I like that the makeup of the team. I think Josh Richardson makes sense. I think you know Maxi Kleba has constantly been underrated. So I, I think I think both of those teams having like implode potential are, are is trash. But neither of them has done anything to sort of prove they belong anywhere close to you know serious contender status. So I think a lot of people thought both of them, one or both of them, might be up there. Yeah, I think, uh, and we ended up not doing a predictions part. I remember this, but when I was looking through my sheet of predictions, I had. I ended up picking Dallas as the team I thought was going to be lower. I think I had them seventh in the West or something, and everyone definitely had them like near consensus top three or four. I'm calling truth on it. I just don't have a pick as to which one. I kind of feel like it might be Denver. Uh, their bench has been so like not great. It feels like they have to go back to their main guys too soon because they're not getting enough minutes out of their bench. Gary Harris is just I'm I guess I'm convinced that he's just never going to be the same uh, O of 12 on above the break threes as we're recording this five of 30 on all jumpers. And so that puts you at such a disadvantage because you do need his defense. I just don't know where their defensive improvement comes from. And yeah, there are things that are going to normalize in their favor or right now teams are just hitting an ungodly amount of three point attempts against them. 40.4%. That's not going to hold. Uh, and they're also shooting opponents are shooting 74.1% at the rim right now, which is the second to worst mark in the league. So allowed by a defense, so I guess there'll be like natural improvement there, but it's like if I told you that six games into the season, you would have, you know, Murray, Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. and Paul Millsap all taking at least 2.5 three-point attempts per game and hitting at least 42% of them or above 40% of them and Denver was two and four. Like, how would you feel about that? And I know they didn't have Murray for a game and I think Michael Porter Jr. has been absent for two games, if I'm not mistaken. 
So you have to consider that too. With Dallas, I I just think we've undersold how little shot creation they have aside from Luca. That was a clear issue over the offseason. And if anything, they got worse in that area. I think going from Seth Curry to Josh Richardson, who sort of showed flashes of that in Miami, but it definitely he didn't really have a chance to do it in Philly. And he's not shooting a great clip from the field right now. And you've also just, you know, kind of sold on shooting because Richardson is let's say a league average guy, even though he's at like 33.3% this season, Seth Curry is volcanic. And so like yeah. that, that's a huge difference. And I, that to me, like ends up really hurting them because even when Przingis comes back, like that's not, he's not the guy to do that. Like he's not going to face up and create these looks from scratch. You don't want him in the post. And then there's just the question of how healthy will Przingis be? What does he look like when he comes back? And how does this team play with him? I think Luka Doncic is the one that's going to be fine. But when you look at all these other guys on the team that are kind of just, you know, bricking threes has probably been Dallas's biggest issue right now. And Luka has been a part of that, but can you guarantee that Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to shoot above 35% from three this year? Like he's had seasons where he's not good at that. Richardson, same 33.3%. Jalen Brunson, 33.3%, probably closer to his career average than not. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, 26.7%. Yeah, that'll go up, but if you need Dorian Finney-Smith to take five or six three-point attempts per game, there's some high variance there. So I I think I might go picking, I might actually pick Dallas as the team that has the lower floor here, and that might end up plumbing it. So I would, I, I would look at it different. I don't think, so I don't think you picking them seventh before the season was, was outrageous just because I think like the, th- two three certainly but maybe even two through seven in the west is like could be separated by three games or two games or something but I, I do think that Dallas does have a cap on it and you hit on the reason is that as as I think Luca is a, a full extreme floor raiser like I just think if if you can get 35 minutes a game from Luca you're gonna score and you're gonna win more often than not but I, and this, you know, they just last year the, their their clutch performance was the worst in the league, and after having an historically good offense, which is right, wild. and and I I think that that is direct. It, you, we always discount clutch, like as it's it's inherently small sample. It almost never carries over year to year. But when you're built like they are, which is if you're going to score on offense, it will it will be because of Luca, and no one else will get anything going. And at the end of games, after he's tired from doing that throughout the game, and every halfway decent coach is saying, well, all we, all we need to do is make sure he doesn't get off and they can't score, like, that just sort of adds up. And maybe that's just sort of conveniently, like, you know, aligning assumptions. But um, that, that to me is why I don't think Dallas ever had, like, a, a even, like, a fringy or legit contender uh, status as they're composed. They're my number one Kyle Lowry team. I want Kyle Lowry on on Dallas, not just for this year, but like just keep him around. Hope he has some late thirties magic, and then he can just be that guy that will make big shots and make cool stuff happen at the end of games, so Luca doesn't. But I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if the Raptors do actually stay terrible, that's the destination, and and Dallas just doesn't care about its cap space that it saved. Yeah, and if you can't get Kyle Lowry, George Hill might be a name for them to look at. That'd be someone yeah. who's like, so yeah, that's a good point about Dallas. The fact that I never viewed them, maybe I'm looking at how other people were viewing them and like measuring yeah. them from that because I didn't consider them that like that bona fide contender. It felt like they were one player short. And even I've been surprised, like someone who I feel like shapes the NBA discourse in Zach Lowe, where he, I think he said a week or two ago that they're less than a player away. And that's like, I just fundamentally don't see it. And I don't necessarily know what it is about them. I guess what's encouraging 
there's they've been about league average in both offensive and defensive efficiency this year all said and done like yeah that's what they've been so they clearly have a higher ceiling than that do you have another one for us let's go uh to i'm sure your, your listenership is just going to be just on the edge of their seats over this one but the Cavs are off to a relatively hot start certainly uh as measured against what was expected of them but they did get smoked tonight i think or no what happened tonight not important they lost just, to the sixers your there you go. mvp candidate in Joel. No, no no that was charlotte that lost oh then never mind but they did lose to they lost by 20 to the magic they scored 83 points tonight. that's actually that's a not, lot worse that's not good <laughs> so but that that only puts them down to four and three. So which that's significantly better. Anyway, truth or trash, the Cavs are a serious playing game threat in the East. I would call it trash. It feels like the level of shot making from Darius Garland specifically might be unsustainable. I'm I'm aboard the Colin Sexton bandwagon. I am there. You are. Oh, yeah. tell me. I'm I I think he's I think you have to look at him as a two guard or or a combo guard, and once you 100%. do, he becomes a really good player. His passing this year, if you look at his assist rate, that's absolutely stellar for someone who is a two guard. Uh, and he's, I feel like he's making better decisions, like more meaningful passes. I'll say when he's attacking the basket. Um, the shooting has been there now for a while, and so I don't know yeah. if he's ever going to be like this super reliable and efficient off the dribble jump shooter. But like he can work off the ball, and he's just so bankable from there. Darius Garland, a lot of Cavs fans think that he has the higher ceiling of the two, and they're probably right just because of what he could do as a passer. Uh, but his level of shot making inside the arc specifically, um, the outside shooting really isn't a surprise to me because he showed flashes of that last year. But the the finishing inside the arc this year has just been absolutely mind-melting, and I would question whether that continues. Uh, I feel like the DeAndre Jordan, uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan, Andre Drummond experience is going to sour at some point. He's been mostly good for them. This season, they don't have Kevin Love right now while he's dealing with a, a calf issue. And so if he comes back, like, what does that do to a defense that's actually rated pretty favorably this year? So, and they also just have, like, these, you know, Isaac Okoro's not playing right now. And so with a rookie there, yeah, he looked good, but there are going to be some mistakes. Maybe it makes them better um, if Dylan, if and when Dylan Whitler comes back to factor that in. Uh, there also looks like Dante Exum might make some time now. So their roster just feels like it's all over the place. And... I, I think the two players most responsible for their success are Sexton and Garland, which I guess is encouraging because those are probably the two closest, plus Okoro, like the lo- long-term pieces you have on your team. I just don't view their shot making, and again, Garland specifically, as sustainable. And I think we're bound to see some uh, you know, defensive regression from them. Before that game against the Magic, they were, I think, like top 10 defensively still, or had they dropped from even there because they were top 10 a couple of days. They were... They were second in defensive efficiency before that Magic game. It's like, that's just, I don't see that type of defensive ceiling with the team. The opponents aren't shooting well. There's got to be some sort of luck there. They're the best team in the world at forcing turnovers, and they're not fouling. That doesn't make any sense in the world. (laughs) I don't think that holds. And they've had issues rebounding the ball defensively, which I'm sure a lot of that has probably come like during non-Drummond minutes, but at the same time, like I, I don't know. And then I do think... I don't know that they'll lean out of it because the kids, again, I'll say, are most responsible for their success. But I don't expect Andre Drummond to finish the season in Cleveland. And then even if he does, I just feel like once they're at full strength, there's going to be minutes flying everywhere. And you do have to look at some less established guys like Okoro and Windler that to be a play-in threat. I know it's the East, but even in that context, you're saying they're going to be better than of like three or four of the Bulls, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Pistons. I guess when you name those teams, it doesn't seem like that ridiculous. 
But it's a super low bar. To but be uh, fair. if you expect the Raptors to rebound, it gets really difficult because then. Oh yeah. Like the Knicks are still pretty frisky right now, so they have to be better than the Knicks, the Pistons, the Wizards. Um, that's three. The Hornets, the Bulls. That those are the five teams that you basically have to. You have to be better than four of them. I guess maybe that's realistic. I, I don't know. Yeah, here it, it, it's trash to me, but, but it, and it's all. I, I do think it's true that they've gotten some promising performances from the guys that like actually really could matter for them long term. Garland and Sexton, and, and it being the the two main ones. Larry Nance is another guy that we should probably mention. Who's who's just does every under. Just does everything. Like just a actual everything. good body. You could throw at Ben Simmons on defense and be like, hey, this this isn't a bad decision. Good passer, really active, good athlete. Like he, yeah, he's he needs to be on a good team. But but so the defense. This is through games played Sunday. We're recording this Monday night, so this will not include uh, the, the loss tonight. But you're welcome, so they, Cavs fans. <laughs> yeah, they, so this will look better. Although actually, they only gave up 103. Um, but so they had, through Sunday had allowed an effective field goal percentage of 52.3, which is tenth. That's good. Uh, but again, kind of the same stat I gave earlier. If opponents shot league average based on where the Cavs are giving up their shots, which have been a lot of threes, a lot of stuff at the rim, that effective field goal percentage would be 55.4, which would rank 29th, right? So they've been incredibly lucky on opponents shooting. The other thing, this turnover thing is is unbelievable. Kevin Pelton wrote something on it uh, yesterday or today. And basically, I'll just read it because like I can't ever have presumed to have come up with a stat on my own. So no team since the ABA-NBA merger has increased its turnover rate as much from one season to the next as the Cavaliers have thus far, from 11.7% of opponent plays resulting in turnovers to 17.7, making it unlikely to continue. Very classic Kevin Pelton uh, undersell. Uh, last season's Bull, Bulls, who you may remember as Jim Boylan's like lunatic squad of like uh, attack animals, uh, pulled off the biggest one prior to that, which was a 4.4 percentage increase. The Cavs are at six, so they were on, they are on pace to have increased their turnover turnovers force percentage by historic margins. And like you said, they're not fouling. To me, this feels like just a total mirage. I think some of it's stylistic, and you have young aggressive guards, and Nance can move, and Drummond has actually good hands. Like that's you know for all of his sort of empty numbers, as people like to point out, he actually does have good hands. He does create steals. Um, there's just no way this continues. And then when that defense falls off, they scored 83 points against the Magic tonight. So, the, like, yeah, the low, the bar is really low for them to be in the play-in scenario. But I just – the numbers are kind of like – it's hard for me to get there looking at how much regression seems to very obviously be ahead of them. Yeah, that would be my guess. But going through those teams in the East, it's like I hate the Bulls this season. I've just, oh, yeah. I, I've not enjoyed them at all. And I've, I think they're the team I've watched the least of, uh, just full stop. So maybe that's just uninformed analysis there on the Bulls. But when you go through the list of teams, it's like, well, you know, maybe because the Pistons are like, they're not, they're bad, but they're like promising bad, where it's like, oh, Grant is having good moments and Killian Hayes is doing some good things and Sadiq Bey and, and Isaiah Stewart. But they'll probably be better than the Pistons. They'll probably be better than the Bulls. I get this would bring my next one though. If they're going to be better than the Knicks, truth or trash, the Knicks are actually a nuisance in the East. Let's just use the same logic as the Cavs. They're a play-in threat. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes. They have. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe I'll look them up when when you start going. But like, they, I think, have had the luckiest 
you know, opponent shooting luck in terms of they've given up a bunch of threes, wide open threes. Maybe you have this stat. Yeah, they um, and only the have Pelicans have it. given up more wide open threes as a higher share of their opponent shots. The Knicks' opponents are shooting. This does not include their win over the Hawks. And I actually watching the fourth quarter from Atlanta, this stat is probably going to tilt even more in the Knicks' favor. Opponents <laughs> are shooting 30.3% on wide open threes against New York. I mean, maybe they're doing. Maybe they figured something out. What like whatever, whatever it is you can do to make opponents miss open shots. Maybe they're like pumping something weird into the. I, but no, like they. I think the the best argument for this being truth, or at least you know, talk to me later, is that they they do play now under Thibodeau as you ever you we should have expected. They play like a or, more organized brand of basketball with like a little bit of purpose. And even though the pieces still fit fit weirdly with a bunch of guys that, you know, they start guys, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson together. I just don't know how you get the shooting from that. And, you know, Alfred Payton is not someone that I think defenses really care about. When you put Frank in the game, same, you know, they have a lot of. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Frank Neal Keen is shooting above 40% from three since January 25th. He's also injured he, right now. We do not speak I, ill of Frank Neal Keen on this podcast. I saw he went four for four the other night. There was some, uh, or something like that. Anyway, let's, uh, let's make him a talk to me later, just as a general proposition. But <laughs> I think the Knicks, like, What's what's the specific question? Are they a nuisance in the East? Or just use the same logic as the Cavs. Are they a play-in threat? Truth or trash? Maybe it should just be. Let's put a finer point on it. Are they gonna? Are they more of a play-in threat than the Cavs? That's so tough. Um, he, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say no, and it's only because of the shooting luck. I just we get suckered into this every year in in one direction or the other with several teams that get out to incredible starts or terrible starts. And it really, at the end, when you look back at it, it was just, they got lucky. And it's not always three-point shooting. Sometimes it's free-throw shooting. Like, you know, a team will just randomly have an opponent free-throw percentage of, like, 65%. For no, it just for no reason, and that wins them a couple games or makes their defensive rating look better. Um, I, the, the shooting luck thing for the Knicks is, it's just, it's too glaring of an anomaly to me to really be confident in the, even if i do think thibodeau gives them if he doesn't break them um gives them something to sort of i don't know ground them so i was pretty comfortably trash here with this and yeah. i've enjoyed watching them maybe they'll be fun bad it's you know the it's a roller coaster when you look at rj barrett's jump shot and some of the lineups tibbs is running but emmanuel quickly looks like he's an actual nba player and they close with him for the most part in the win over atlanta but i don't like the defensive shot profile and it still reeks of like tibbs not updating his uh, defensive system and they are they're allowing more looks at the rim than any other team in the league and they're 27th in opponent three-point attempt rate and so when you have your opponent and right now they have the best three-point defense and are top eight in rim defense like both of those are not holding for the year no it's just not no. happening and the other thing is they're 27th in offensive efficiency and that's while shooting unsustainably high for them from three and we've already seen like the come down from Barrett and then even Randall over his past few games. I think he was 0 5 from three or something like that in the win over the Hawks. They don't have enough shooters to make this work long term. And I think that we're starting to see it. There was, you know, some lineups against the Hawks where they had Bullock quickly and Rivers on the floor at the same time. It's like, all right, you know, there's some sense there. But mm -hmm. because you want to play Julius Randall so much and because you can't play him at the five without allowing even more of a parade towards the basket, you're always going to have Noel 
or uh, Mitchell Robinson on the court with him. So those are two non-shooters. Barrett makes a third just because defenses don't care about him. And he's hit some pull-ups this year inside the arc. So maybe there's still hope for him. But now you're effectively, your most used lineups, you're still limiting yourself to maybe two above average shooters. And that becomes a real, that just becomes a real problem for them. So I don't expect all this to hold. And I would also think that even if it does, we're going to get to a point where once Alex Burks is healthy, if he and Julius Randle are still playing like this, and even Austin Rivers, who's been big from them from downtown, like not all those guys are going to finish the season in New York. Like they're the team because of the players that are really have been a boon for them. I think when you're looking at the kiddies, it's Barrett has had his moments. Like he's had some up and downs, but he's impacted the game in good ways. Uh, I've seen good things from Mitchell Robinson at points, uh, made a bunch of good defensive plays against the Hawks and the foul problem is still a thing, but there he can at least go entire games now where it feels like it's okay. And then Emmanuel quickly, but like everything else is just like, Oh, Alec Burks was playing so well before Randall's playing out of his mind. Now um, you're getting great minutes from Austin river since he's returned. These are guys that don't factor into the big picture. And I would think based on what the Knicks did over the off season, they will start moving some of them. And I would advocate strongly if Julius Randall's going to play like this, move him now while you can, yeah. because I think there's a team out there that'll look at him and be like, Oh, he's averaging 22, 11 and seven assists. And he's turning the ball over a lot, but he's still shooting over 50% on twos and 40% from three. I would move him now. And so that's that's a big part of why it's trash too. But I do think what they've done now, while it's fun, I think it's unsustainable. Yeah. We should talk about the team that uh, they beat tonight, uh, which is the Atlanta Hawks, which I think, you know, so the Hawks fell to four and three. But if you pull it up, they're sixth in the league in net rating still, despite that loss. They're third in offense. They're not good defensively, but not terrible. They're 18th, which is kind of, you know, the difference between 15 and and 20 is kind of negligible so far. Um, So I'm trying to put a finer point on this because it's not like, you know, the question, are they a surefire top eight team? I think the answer is probably yes. But just looking at some of the good East teams, theoretically good East teams that have stumbled, let's put it at truth or trash or talk to me later. The Atlanta Hawks are a top six team in the west and keep in mind in the west in the east, that's, in bold. The east. that's bold <laughs> yeah no so they're going to realign conferences this year and then the hawks uh but no so that means if they're top six they are better than somebody from the following group which as i'm doing this is going to be a tough sell milwaukee philadelphia i'm just going down by net rating so far uh, in order milwaukee philadelphia indiana brooklyn boston and then you've still got Miami and then Toronto way down there. So they got to be better than somebody from that group this season to be a top six team in the East. Right now they are. Um, and a lot of that is based on their offense is awesome, which I think is 100% legit. The question will be defensively. Um, is Where are you? Truth, trash, talk to me later. Hawks are a top six team. I have to hedge here with talk to me later because I want to call truth, but when you phrase it like that from the the group, it's so tough. What I do think bodes well for them is like they haven't even been close to full strength this year yet. Like Chris Dunn's Mm -hmm. injured. Gallo's been banged up. Clint Capella's still working his way into shape. Rondo's only played in two games, I believe. And they've gotten good play from their younger wings. It's almost just like they have too many decisions to make. I'm not just... It's like a minute-by-minute basis, the amount of decisions they have to make. It's like, oh, who do we close with? How do we run 
these lineups, are we ever, does Gallo play some three when he comes back? Will they ever share the court with John Collins? Does him and John Collins, the four and five work? Are we closing games with Capella at the five? And then if we, does that mean that Collins or Gallo, one of them has to be on the bench? Um, Can we close a game with Collins at the five? And are we, you know, when Chris Dunn comes back, like do him and Rondo play together? Is he defending wings? Which one of our young wings is closing games? DeAndre Hunter probably gives us more optionality defensively, but Cam Reddish has been, I feel like by and large, just better defensively for him, particularly against smaller players. They make me nervous just because they have so, in, in a good way, but it's almost like too much of a good thing. And it feels like they need to consolidate this a little bit in favor of some defensive talent. I don't know if, I'm not advocating for a John Collins trade in that, through like through that lens, but that feels like what they need to do. They, th- so I agree. I, I think with the, their numbers are, this is a testament to how early it is. Their number, their five-man unit numbers going into tonight were wild. Like you would assume that, you know, Capella has long been thought to be sort of the key to them playing passable defense because he would defend the room. But their their numbers with him at center suck. And when John Collins has played the five, their defense has been really, really good. So obviously it's just been, <laughs> it's just been luck because Collins can't guard anything. But I think uh, you you hit on the the potential for why this could be truth. I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna talk to me later too because if I, if you said seven or eight, then sure. But six is like, are they gonna really be better than Toronto, Boston, Miami? Like Miami? I just it's tough to get there. But they have so many pieces that if they wanted to go out and trade for a star, like what could you get with Collins and like a Kong Wu? We didn't even talk about him. He hasn't really, he hasn't played. He hasn't played. And I don't know, pick Reddish or Hunter and, and find some salary ballast to throw in there. Like they don't need Bradley Beal, but like if you just are, if the Wizards want a bunch of young guys that are cheap, like sure that you could do that. Now Beal doesn't address the defense or really almost none of the, you know, the typical guys that we spent the off season talking trade block about really do. But if if you're if if this is going to be truth, I think one pathway to get there is they do like you say is consolidate and just trade like three of these young guys and a pick or something, and they just get another star. So you know, or another figure out who what kind of defensive piece you could throw in there on the wing to just fix everything. Because they got a lot of guys, and and you know, it's almost like a blessing that they all haven't been healthy, which is weird to say because there just aren't going to be a lot of minutes and somebody's going to get pissed off and, and, and there, that could be a whole other problem, but they're really kind of ripe to do something wild. I think potentially it's just, when you look at like who could potentially be available, who's going to help them defensively. I even thought like, what if they just decided to move on from Gallo or Bogdanovich at midseason yeah. and use that as ballast pair it with a youngster and like go after somebody, you know, like an Ola Depot would make sense for them. If they're, if you don't have to give up too much and they're willing to pay him, uh, I thought about Aaron Gordon for this team, but then that's still, he could defend wing spots, but he's still redundant. If you have Collins in there too, like how do you balance that is still an issue. They have so many options, which I guess isn't for the regular season. It's definitely not a bad thing because as we've seen, like not only the injuries, but whatever happens with COVID protocols, like that's how this season needs to be viewed too, is that you need the extra available bodies. But when it comes to crunch time, like, we've kind of seen it like they have all these different options to make. And with the way that they've kind of played in the fourth quarter of the past couple games, maybe those are also underlying issues they need to look at. It's also hard to make that call though, before they've seen their rotation at full strength. Like you just even forget about Okungwu, just not having like Gallo and Chris Dunn available at the same time as Rondo and, and Bogdanovich along with then like everyone else. It just makes it hard to like, how do you build your rotation or like they still had to play a bunch of Solomon Hill and Brandon Goodwin for this team. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing with them too is, I honestly think like 
having just said there seem to be ways for them to consolidate or get better, they, they're still a team that I – maybe this is just me being risk-averse, but they I think they're not far enough along in the process to where they can be – you know, turning down all of these bites at the apple they have because like we didn't talk about Kevin Herter. I like Kevin Herter. I think he might be like a seventh guy that just is a lights out shooter on a good team someday. And, you know, they got all these guys in the like 21 to 23 range, right. throw, throw Reddish and Hunter in there. Like realistically, all those guys aren't part of the future, but I think you want to keep all these guys as many around as you can to see if which couple of them pop and then you have a better idea in a year or two of like what your team actually is going to look like and consult look like and consolidation happens kind of organically but and and really the collins situation is a good example because they're just like now nah, we're going to wait and see what you are before we meet your max salary demands like we just we're, we're going to go another year if you're this good we'll pay you if not later we got restricted rights like i think that's kind of a good way to approach it so having said all that uh, about how they could get there I don't know. I'd like. I think you just kind of hang on and see which one of these guys kind of emerge from 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 all this, and and you you know hope to come out of this year with an idea of like these are our six guys that are really a big part of the future, and the rest of them we can con- consider moving because uh, this isn't the year, right? Like they want to make the playoffs, they're going to do that. I think you just be happy with that and not you know think about pushing you know going crazy. I'm with you. Truth or trash. The Golden State Warriors can be more than a first-round stepping stone. So this means they they can win a playoff series. Yeah. Not uh, a play-in I, series. I just want to make that clear. A play, an no. actual playoff series. <laughs> like a series that involves seven games against the team. That actually, uh, I think that's truth, and I feel incredibly uneasy about saying that uh, because we talked about this before we started recording. I I. I thought based on the preseason, my, my sort of mantra on them was, I don't know if they're going to be any good, but I know they're going to be, they're going to play really hard and be fun and defend. And that hasn't been true at all. They've been just super inconsistent. (laughs) The shooting is like Kelly Oubre on the, the literally the worst three point shooting start in NBA history is a huge story. Wiggins being looking incredible for stretches and looking like he just doesn't want to be there. The, the, the Andrew Wiggins experience right. like in a nutshell, in nutshell, yeah. is, is the thing. Um, I think a huge issue that will continue to be a complicated thing is that, you know, Steve Kerr wants to run an offense uh, that is like high level, you know, adv- whatever math analogy you want to use, like it's advanced calculus and he has, it's read and react of- basically. Right. And it's compl- it's complicated. You have to be watching three other guys and waiting for Steph Curry to not come off this pin down, but the other one, and run a split cut with this guy. And he's gonna you have it's it's so, it's it requires an incredibly high basketball IQ. So it's an advanced calculus offense with guys that can't do long division yet. Like that's that's what the roster that's the situation. And so Curry blew up last night because they simplified, and he just said f it. Like I'm I'm gonna attack the basket and and make cool stuff happen. Um, so that's a huge problem. Wiseman's going to play a ton and he has no idea where to be 90% of the time. He does more harm than good right now, but the flashes are incredible. They should continue to play him. They will continue to play him and it's going to be rough sledding against good teams, especially as that you realize that like, he just has, 
miles and miles to go in terms of like understanding where to be, how to position himself, how to rebound the ball in traffic, which he cannot do. Um, there's all this stuff, but I do think there's a chance that with Steph, with Draymond, assuming those guys stay healthy, there will be the learning curve will be gradual, but there will be one. And when you have an MVP type player, which I think Steph still is last night, truth. confirmed it. You truth, hundred percent truth. You have a shot, and so you have a shot not only to make the playoffs, but to beat somebody. Um, because again, you know the principals on this team have done it, and I think that carries a lot of weight. Uh, if if the question is they will be more than a playoff stepping stone, like they're definitely going to win a series. I don't know. They absolutely could though. It wouldn't it wouldn't register to me as a, as a shock if they did. I think they need to make a trade to do it. And that's where they get questionable to me is that would this be the season to do that? Even if it's not the wise men, future picks and Andrew Wiggins all in for, for James Harden play. Like, does it make sense to mortgage any part of the future or do anything this year? Are you good enough to justify doing that? Because I just don't, I I could, I guess I could see them winning a, a playoff series as is, but you would need to get, and maybe I'm just too stuck in their early season funk where, you know, Kelly Oubre is one of 19 on wide open threes for a whopping 5.3% clip on uh, wide open threes there. But like you need more shooting on this team desperately. And if they're not, I don't know how there are better players on this team than there were last year. And the Warriors defended about league average with James, uh, with Draymond Green on the court last year. So you would think that should translate into better returns this year. I'm just I'm not sure. There's something about the scene that still feels uneasy. Like you said, they're gonna play Wiseman a bunch. Um, and then just the the shooting variance night to night from the supporting cast is just and they don't have like you look at this team, there's not like great supporting cast defenders. Who is the Warriors' second best defender? Oh, it's probably Wiggins. Uh, which is like and I will say, as bad as Wiggins has looked, um, it just in, in spurts. I do think he's had some good games. Uh, can you believe how much how I'm just like I'm acting as if like eight years of Minnesota history didn't happen. Everyone's laughing at me. (laughs) Then I'm like, you know, sometimes he's actually, (laughs) but he, so Oubre is there is the guy they've been putting on like Dame Lillard, for example. And he's the one that's going to guard the most threatening perimeter player. And he's just feast or famine because he does a lot of incredibly aggressive you know, he's it's like if Jim Boylan only coached Kelly Uber, like, that's what defense would look like. And he so he gets beat backdoor, he's terrible off the ball, like all that stuff. Um, Wiggins actually he knows how to use his length. He's pretty strong, he's stronger than Ubre. He's had a bunch of like chase down blocks that like the Warriors just like Clay Thompson was a much better defender, but did not have the length or a burst to do some of the stuff that Wiggins does. So it's probably Wiggins, I guess. But but I mean, yeah, that's it, terrifying. So it, is, it is. It is for a moment of de- depend, Depending on him for anything is is like is a mistake. But it, it, what's interesting about this team is they. So there are shooters like Damian Lee can shoot. Michael Mulder is in the NBA because he can shoot. That you know, and, and actually Damian Lee probably outside of Curry and Draymond has like the highest. The, the most de- developed understanding of how Golden State wants to play. I think most people think he should be playing more because he's passable defensively and he sort of understands what the Warriors are trying to accomplish on both ends. Um, the problem is, like, if you play Mulder and you play Lee, 
and in, instead of say Wiggins and and Ubre, not that you'd ever really play meaningful minutes with both of those guys on the floor, but Mulder and, and Wiggins or Mulder and, and Lee, you're just kind of giving up a lot. They're, they're not athletic. They're, so the Warriors have these lineups that can be good on one end, but probably not on the other potentially. Although look, like Ubre is going to be better, right? Like Wiggins is what he is, but Ubre is going to be better. You can't shoot this. He shot 35% on pretty solid volume last year. If he shot 30, like what would he have to shoot from now on to the end of the year to hit like 33% on the year? He'd be like a 45% shooter or something ridiculous. Like, so he's, if he gets anywhere within like three or 4% of what he shot last year, he's going to be incredible from, from here on out. So I don't know. I, I just think, it, it, this is it's probably not good to be doing this after Steph went for 62 and Draymond looked like vintage Draymond on defense against Portland. But, you know, I, I, I still am not ready to to give up on my initial baseline of like, I think they're going to be fun. I think they're going to defend and I think they're going to be like interesting because they have they have not been interested. They've been interesting in the wrong way so far because they've lost three games by 25. I think they end up being a playoff team. So like I do think that things are going to get better. I just unless they make a. I'll, I'll call it like an Aaron Gordon-sized move, like a player at that level that addresses an actual need in an impactful way, which would be defense for them. He's not going to help their shooting. Uh, yeah. Like that's where I just don't know if I could see them winning a playoff series. Like I don't know that they have the 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 fire the, the firepower on offense or just the defensive depth. Yeah, I don't think they're going to. Because I think if they, if they were going to, they would have, you know, back before – before the draft or you know i i, I just I, I agree i think you know they're they're clearly a move the thing is like what are you gonna do because wiggins is negative value clay's contract is negative value draymond's might be negative value you're not trading steph you're you're almost definitely you know, not trading if you're wise. making a win now move you wouldn't trade draymond anyway i think his contract you could argue is net neutral for not like if he's gonna defend like he did against portland yeah uh, and what you like you can't move clay because he's too important i think long term anyway no one's like what do you get from him uh it's you have Ubre's expiring what can you attach to that to make something happen where do you land on the and i'm surprised like this hasn't been talked more about like the go all in and get james harden i i just don't think i think if you could sort of hook the Warriors decision makers up to up to a or shoot them up with truth serum. I I think they look at this year as another gap year and not this not in the same way as last season. Um, I think what having now seen so the best thing that could have happened for the stability of the team was that 62 point game from Steph because what that tells the Warriors is that we've still got an MVP caliber player and so we can afford to try to make the playoffs this year. We're going to probably get a sweet Minnesota pick because uh, the, the Wolves are terrible, and that pick is yeah, tough. Russell's popping champagne after losses. He's counting morale victories now. Yeah, so you got that. I think they'll develop. They'll hope Wiseman develops. Um, they, so I, I just – for a player like Harden, number one, like I, this is probably personal, but like – it's hard for me to think of a team if I'm running that team that I want him like for anything of value, just because I think he's going to age. He still looks really good when he's played, but that's kind of beside the point. I think for the Warriors specifically, this is a, a better gap year, and they're really hoping that by the time Clay is back next year, Steph is still MVP level. Draymond proves this year that last season he just didn't care, and he's still you know an All NBA defender. 
Um, Wiseman gets better. Wiggins is still Wiggins. You get another high pick in there. I think they're just kind of, what's the analogy I want to use? Or what's the, this is sort of, I, I don't know. It's like a Spurs thing. I think they want to be the Spurs. I think they want to be really good for 20 years. I think, I think kind of that's the aim. And I don't know that that's that a hardened move, for example, is, is going to achieve what, what they're going for. I'd be curious if they could find a middle ground move. Like I mentioned before, where it's, it, you keep Wiseman at least like that's the, yeah. can you get in Aaron Gordon's name? I mentioned uh, you don't like Zach Levine, but it feels like he'd be perfect for this team. Um, even smaller scale than that, like Devonte Graham, not shooting mm-hmm. well right now, but that's someone that this team could, could really use. They would also be a fun Kyle Lowry team. Who wouldn't be a fun Kyle Lowry team? Send Andrew Wiggins home. Oh, wouldn't that, sign me up for that. That'd be incredible. You could have the Minnesota pick. Just give me Kyle Lowry. And I don't think, I think it probably takes age. more than the, would you do the Minnesota pick and Wiggins for Kyle Lowry? If yeah, like I was gonna say, if you assured me that Kyle Lowry would cease aging and sign another sign for three more years and be just as good at thirty eight or whatever as he was at thirty four, that then I would do that. Seems like that's asking a lot, though. <laughs> it's kind of asking a lot. Uh, you had if- you had the Pacers on this, yeah. Um, this is this is gonna be kind of a bad look since we just talked about how the Raptors are in trouble, sort of. Um, but I'm in on the Nick Nurse coaching tree from which uh, Nate Bjorkren has fallen. And I think – so the Pacers sort of just picked the low-hanging fruit, which was their shot profile from last year, where they shot a ton of mid-rangers. They've cut those out. They're shooting a bunch more threes. And as I just look through the – now, the TJ Warren injury is a big deal because they just don't have any wings with size. Um, Jeremy Lamb, I just I, – he hasn't played. I wouldn't expect they're going to get anything from him coming off that injury. He's the type of player that they need. Um, but not if they're threes. No, they, well, they started. So they started Aaron Hall, Aaron Holiday. They still have Justin Holiday. I guess maybe we're overlooking him, but or I'm overlooking him. But that that's an issue. The the wing is the wing thing is kind of a problem. But um, I just I just feel like they handled the shot profile stuff. They were very good last year. I think they have the potential to be even better this year just by fixing that. And and look like Oladipo looks good. Yeah. Um, I don't think all NBA Oladipo is coming back. That just felt like just lightning in a bottle that year. He was just super healthy, super quick, getting by everybody. But what he's done so far this year has been as good as any other year of his career, including the sort of truncated, I think, 18, 19 year where he was sort of hurt, made an all-star game, and then played like 30-some-odd games and and didn't play the rest of the year. Um, He had a sequence tonight at the end of the game where he came down – did a pull up three from like 28 feet to get the Pelican or to get Indy within three stole the inbound assisted a miles Turner three that tied. And like, he just, he looks active on both ends. Old Depot looks like a player. So, and he's not doing anything. Sorry. He's not even doing anything like unsustainable. Yeah. He's not going to no. shoot 60% on catch and shoot threes forever. But you mentioned the pull up three, like 36.8% on pull up threes for him. Like that's totally like, that's, you know, probably closer to all NBA season than the one where he was an all-star before he got injured. But yeah. like, that's not an absurd number where it's like, Oh, he can't do that. And he's been defending well too, which wasn't happening in the bubble. And it felt like he was hijacking possessions on offense at points. And it just doesn't feel that way now. Yeah. So to, I've departed from our, uh, from our, our conceit, but the truth, I guess I'll just say truth trash. Talk to me later. Indy is, my my the thing on the outline is India is this good, which by this good I guess it's like you know they're one of the three or four best teams in the East. Um, I'm gonna call truth. 
I, they're good, right? Like, yeah. I just, they kind of have a lot of talent. So, but we didn't even talk about Sabonis yet. I don't think either of us are super high on Sabonis relative to higher now. <laughs> yeah, way higher now. Yeah, he's been look. He's not going to shoot. He's taking threes now. He's not going to shoot fifty plus percent from beyond the arc forever. But like, they're not getting anything from Miles Turner beyond the arc right now. He's sub thirty percent. So it's like that. Like, there's kind of the the give and take there. Like, this team is just ridiculously good. Um, Sabonis is just like supercharged now in this offense too. And I think people like view his game as a throwback. I just feel like he's more of a contemporary spin on like doing some, like the work for like, he's not, he's not setting up shop in the post, taking 10 to 12 seconds off the shot clock while he's backing dudes down. Like he's making these just like super fast reads. Um, he's really like, he's really good at like using his shoulders and like, he's going to lead fast breaks too. So he's just been so good for them. And if you were to say like truth or trash, their top four in the East. I did not have them here at the beginning of the season. If you tell me that they're keeping Victor Oladipo and they're not going to trade him, which I do think needs to be factored into all this since he's coming in a contract year. And he's look, he's making that decision more difficult because he's playing so well. And it's like, all right, this is great. But if we pay him, like what happens from there? And that you do have to think about that. They don't really have a North star aside from Sabonis after him. And I don't think you want to build your entire team around a Sabonis type, you still need that traditional face-up option, which Sabonis is just not. Uh, and we're even seeing the benefits of what Oladipo does for Malcolm Brogdon, just being able to open his game. That's something that TJ Warren isn't even going to do when he's healthy. So if you told me they kept Oladipo, I'd pencil them in his top four in the East right now. And they have continuity in spaces like at the top where a lot of other teams don't. And like you said, they took the they swallowed or swung at the low hanging fruit, which was their shot profile. Where you know a Steve Clifford team is going to be like, hey, we're not going to turn the ball over. Um, or foul and they were just like hey we're gonna take three steps back and take more threes instead of all these long twos which which was always you know with turner specifically like he's the number one guy but they have all these guys that are very good like oladipo's he's fine and and brogdon is a good three-point shooting brogdon had a career high 33 a couple nights ago he had 21 and 11 tonight um he he hit 409 from deep oladipo is 511 this is a they, they beat the pels in overtime by two so that Oladipo incredible sequence at the end of regulation paid off. Um, yeah, they just have a bunch of – it is an interesting point that you make, though, that they don't have that North Star. I don't know how they ever – how they get it with this iteration of the team. And the, the, the thing is, like, it so clearly needs to be a big wing because otherwise – but if, even if they, had, if they had a healthy TJ Warren, the man that they're just like – they're good at every position. Um, Maybe maybe they're a team that if Warren gets healthy, although the foot thing is scary because he's had a lot of foot injuries in his career. Th- I mean, I'd like them against almost anybody in the playoffs, at least to be really competitive. If they had, if their starting five were Turner, Sabonis, Warren, Oladipo, and Brogdon, that's tough. That's really tough. And then you just look at who comes off the bench for them: Aaron Holiday, Justin Holiday. They're just so deep. You can throw Doug McDermott in there if you have to. Yep. They've got good. Yeah. I'm 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 in on them. I might be higher on them than you, even though you were the one that introduced this. <laughs> Truth or trash? The net the Nets are one piece shy of actual title contention, and that piece is not James Harden. Hmm. I'm gonna say trash, and it's only because I actually don't think they need anything else. All um, right. I'm gonna ask follow up question. Yeah. Who is after Jared Allen, the Nets' second best defender. Oh man, can it be Andrew Wiggins again? Um, <laughs> it could be Bruce Brown. They just don't play him. Well, in a playoff series, I think it's Kevin Durant. 
Um, cause we've seen the, as he has, he, he can be a really high end defender and was a really high end defender in the games that, that mattered a great deal for the Warriors and, and to a lesser extent, the Thunder. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. They don't have someone that night to night, it, like for the millionth time, Torian Prince looks like he should be that guy. He just isn't. No. Um, but no, they, that, that, that's an issue. I think though that they have so much offensively, uh, potentially they, they've been a disappointment to me. Um, even if like the things that you worried most about, which would be how Irving and Durant looked have been like major positives. I think right. they both look great. Durant didn't even, I mean, Durant looks like Kevin Durant to me. I think it's almost indistinguishable from pick a year, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't know who the defender is. I think theoretically in a playoff series, if they're all playing well, there's a way to just work around that because they can put lineups on the floor that are super long that can, you know, maybe they're a team that needs to play more zone. I don't know. Um, but to me, it is, it's definitely not James Harden. James Harden is not the answer to, for them. I'm with you there. Me. Like it's not even close. So people are using um, the, like Durant needing to miss games and Irving needing to miss games. Now that Dinwiddie is down as like the impetus to justify that. And it's Karis LeVert's going to play better. And at this point, if you need to punt on, you know, 12 to 15 games this year, I'd probably just do it. The opportunity cost for James Harden just doesn't fix what you, he definitely elevates their ceiling, but I don't think he makes them any less high variance night to night necessarily. More, if anything. I mean, yeah, they're already high variance just because of, you know, being an offense first team. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, you know who their second best is Joe Harris in the conversation. As their look, of, of players who actually play, it might be Joe Harris. I think it, I think it might be. I mean, not. I'm kind of serious. Um, but uh, but Joe Harris has become like a pretty good like pass. That's not an insult, but I'm saying defender. you don't want Joe Harris to be your second best defender. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's fair. No. I. Yeah. I. I mean, I, who is that player though? Who who if, if they want- are a player away. I, I don't want to keep stepping on this toe, but like Aaron Gordon was the name. It gets a lot harder to do now that you don't have Dinwiddie because he would have been perfect for Orlando. I don't know if there's anything smaller scale that you could necessarily do if you're them. Like, can you get Thaddeus Young? Probably helps out this team a lot. Uh, even a Trevor Ariza, if he gets bought out, ends up helping them a lot. People have mentioned George Hill. That doesn't really fit what they need on defense, even though he'd be obviously stellar for them offensively. Could they get Kyle Anderson? Like, that would be super interesting. Not now you can't. Kyle Anderson's blown up. <laughs> but he would be fun for them. So it feels like they are, like, they'll be in the title contender circle. But after being so in on them because of the way Irving and Durant have looked, like, their defense is a problem. They're 23rd since Christmas. They were, like, first after their first two games. They've been 23rd since. They can't grab a defensive rebound. The other night, which was wild, they closed without Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan or Karis LeVert on the floor. They went with some Jeff Green at the five stuff and it came back to bite them uh, because they weren't able to grab rebounds at, at crucial points. So, you know, losses like that, like, you know, you, you lost to, they also lost to Charlotte. Like that it's, I don't want to read too much. And Atlanta's not like a terrible team to lose to either. And these back-to-backs against teams are weird. It feels like everyone's splitting them. I'm not saying it's all doom and gloom in Brooklyn, but I'm still I'm higher on them than I was entering the season where I thought that they were just, oh, Kevin Durant, like he's coming off an Achilles, let's adjust our expectations. And the fact that he's at an MVP level basically is a huge deal. I, the defense long-term is just super concerning to me. And look, there's a chance they end up trading Jared Allen too. 
because of yeah. his contract coming up. Like he's playing more than DeAndre Jordan, more likely to close games. There's still a chance that they move him. Here's the so I'm just looking at it now. So they're eighth in offensive or sorry, ninth in offensive efficiency. I think we agree that that's going to come up. This is by cleaning the glass, so there's no garbage time. And they're actually eleventh in defense. Yes, despite because they were the first horrible... after their first two games, they're twenty third since. <laughs> sure, but they those two games counted. I mean, they did that. <laughs> I, that's that's fair. No, I don't know. Yeah, the defense is an issue. I just think the offense could be like if they're the best offense in the league. I mean, if they're not if they're not one of the five best offenses in the league, like we're going to be saying, what the hell went wrong? So I think you're 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 if you can get up if you can get to 14, 15 defensively or fall to that from this number, which you so rudely are just being dismissive of. They have the uh, best opponent effective field goal percentage in the league right now. I know they've been super lucky. They, they've been super <laughs> lucky. So they've been super lucky to be basically mediocre. Uh, but yeah, the rebounding thing is really weird to me. There doesn't seem to be an excuse for that. And and that actually... When, I think you look when, at their roster, though, and you're like, you know what? That might be the league's worst rebounding team. That sort of aligns. I, does it, though? Because defensively, Jordan does rebound. DeAndre Jordan's just not the same. Jared Allen's never been like that guy. And if you're going to go with Kevin Durant or Jeff Green at the five, like if those are your front court, like you're going to give yeah. up some offensive boards in those situations. Yeah. The thing is with... The thing with them is... Going into the year, I guess, like, I was just, I was, I'm very protective of Steve Nash. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> has nothing just, to do with the fact that you guys are uh, alumni of Santa Clara at all. No, he's not, none whatsoever. He's sort of like, like, I don't consider him family. He certainly would. <laughs> Did you know that Steve family. Nash went to college with Lloyd Pierce? Comes up on every he, single broadcast that either one of them run. They don't both have to be on it. That's the I've fun played fact. A lot, I've played a lot of basketball with Lloyd Pierce because he was an assistant at Santa Clara when I was there. He he was an incredible defender, um, as you might imagine. Uh, but he but but so like I the way the Nets thing I thought would go south if it were going to go south was one injury, two just unmanageable sets of personalities, and like we've cleared those hurdles. Like it doesn't seem like you know Kyrie kind of tiptoed a little bit into being Kyrie, but like there hasn't been anything, you know just super disruptive and their most important players look healthy. So now I'm kind of thinking like, well, if the hurdles that I thought were going to trip them, if they cleared them, like shit, let's go. Like there's the talents <laughs> there. Like what's, what's in the way turns out it's defense and rebounding, but maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know. Suddenly I feel like way more optimistic than I should have been just because the way I thought it would go bad didn't happen. I guess that's It's if Kevin Durant and Kyrie are going to play, this well championship is the ceiling in Brooklyn. I want to make that clear. It just feels like if you need to beat the Lakers or the Clippers or even the Bucks, I mean, shit, even the Pacers at this point, like they, they feel like they're one player short and not the James Harden type player. I don't think it needs to be a star, but it needs to be just like another defensive body. Like the player Torian Prince looks like he could be <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna say if, if they just imported someone who looked exactly like torian prince and had like the build and and the mobility and but actually like played like that person looks then yep they'd be they'd be the title favorites probably are we out of trash or tr- truth or trashes i think I we I each have, have two more left from what i'm looking at you had okay, something on I, the pelicans yeah um truth or trash the pelicans uh, before I, I want to, I want to make sure I get this right because I think they gave up too many points tonight. Um, they're fifth defensively right now. Uh, truth or trash, the Pelicans are a top five defense. Whoa, 
I'm going to say trash. Top five seems high. Like if you give me some wiggle room of like top 12, I might buy it. Top 10. Let's go top 10. Why is that still so hard? <laughs> Don't you trust Stan Van? I mean, I'll, I'll say truth just because all his teams tend to play above their head. And the Steven Adams on off stuff with them is just absolutely wild at this point. Bledsoe's a really good regular season player. Ingram's been defending better. Lonzo Ball is a very good, you know, maybe not necessarily one on one, but he's a good team defender. So I'll 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 say truth. I think it's truth too, and and I think the problem is it comes at the expense of like what made New Orleans theoretically interesting last year's. They played with a lot of pace. They they have the personnel. I mean, that's what the Adams move at, at the time made no sense because it's like we're slowing it down now because Adams cannot. Adams is not an up tempo player. No. Um, except he will clear the defensive boards and get it started. But um, and the spacing issues he creates with Zion will cramp the offense, which it sort of has. They sacrificed that to play Van Gundy defense and just sort of handle all the stuff they're supposed to handle. Um, they're doing like a Bucks thing where they're just like, screw it. You guys can shoot all the threes you want. They've given up just an ungodly percentage of opponent three point percentage. When I did that, when I put this together, uh, they had allowed opponents that's non garbage, uh, allowed opponents to take 48.4% of their shots from deep, which is like just incredible. The Clippers were second at just under 42%. So the gap is wide, but you get nothing at the rim against them which makes sense personnel-wise because Adams is huge, Zion's big, Ingram's long, Lonzo's a big guard, Bledsoe is a fire hydrant. Like It makes sense <laughs> that if they want you out of the lane, they will keep you out of the lane. Um, so they will be subject to a bunch of high-variance nights where if teams just hit above the break threes, you'll lose, which is true of Milwaukee too. Um, but I think that you know, sort of like to a much larger extent uh, with Thibodeau and the Knicks, the Pels just sort of have principles now. Um, what I don't know, I think actually it's potentially detrimental for the playoffs for the same reasons the Bucks run into trouble, where if you just do this one thing and teams can scout it and figure out where to get shots from in a playoff series, that's a problem. Pelicans will take that as a problem because that means they made the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but I just I think defensively they got the personnel and the style to be a really good defense. I over maybe I oversold it kind of trying to pin you to top five, but I'll say like top seven, I would I think it's truth you know, with the potential to be top five. Um, I think they're going to be a really good defense. And if they can play fast enough occasionally and, and get enough shooting somehow, um, they could be really good, I think. They're fifth in points allowed per possession after a defensive rebound. And they've just, they've kind of done the Stan Van Gundy thing there where it's, hey, we're going to make sure that we're going to get back and teams are not going to be able to play at above league average pace in those situations. And they'll at least protect against the rim there. But giving up that many threes... That makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And I, there's also there's midseason shakeup potential with this team too. When you look at Lonzo entering restricted free agency, Bledsoe is clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, not untouchable. Even though teams may not want to touch him themselves, so uh, there's <laughs> that would be like what would make me uneasy about it. Top seven, I might call trash. Top top ten, I'll I'll call truth. Yeah, they. You know, it's interesting if you look at. The, the, the whole thing, so the Bucks kind of made this a thing where, you know, they'll give up a lot of threes, but it's, they're very specific about where they want those threes to come from and who they want shooting them. Typically, they'll just let a bunch of bigs shoot above the break threes all night and just, you know, assume you're going to hit 31% of those and we can live with it. Um, but if you look up and down the, you know, trying to correlate, you know, opponent three-point frequency with defensive rating, 
you get just, it's all over the map. And I think really some of that's luck, but I think it's been true for a couple of years now. The teams that figure out, like, we just don't allow corner threes and you can have them at volume from everywhere else and we're good with that. If that means you get nothing at the rim, that works. But it also works if you run, you know, Indiana, for example, this year now is allowing the lowest three-point frequency. Their defense is good. So it's just, it, it, it's interesting. I th- the Pels are picking a way to handle three-point volume. Um, and I, th- I think it's going to work because they got the guys to do it. But Look, yeah. Also, they're giving up more uh, wide-open three-point attempts as a share of their shots than any team in the league right now. And teams yeah. are hitting those at like a 40% clip. So it's not, mm-hmm. like, that's probably about what they could expect. And so if they're doing this while that's happening, it probably does bode well for the sustainability of it. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm, I'm hemming and hawing now too with the, that's just a lot of threes. But look, that, that means they're going to lose, they're going to lose to a bad team by 25. Like it's going to happen gonna more happen. than once. It's going to happen more than once. But but I think if they're just going to stick to that principle, like you have the Bucks showing you that this works so not a bad team to emulate for a regular season defense true you you kind of touched on this already truth or trash the clippers will rank outside the top 12 of points allowed per possession right outside the do you know where they ranked right now uh i could look at it right now and tell you that they rank 21st am i seeing that right 21st in defensive rating i have them as 26th with maybe that updated um, from cleaning the glass. Okay, I'm using NBA.com. Um, same difference. Why why can't they be better than that? So What's... they're like you said, they're giving up a ton of threes, but they also have. I'm calling it trash just because they rank in the top ten of both rim and three point defense right now, actual opponent percentage. So there's I'm looking at this thing. There's no way this holds. The rebounding issues are probably fairly real because just, you know, you have Zubats, but like Serge Ibaka when he plays the five isn't going to bring a ton. Maybe having Marcus Morris healthy will help you a little bit. Uh, they've been they've been fouling wildly. They're 26th in foul rate while being only 20th in forcing turnovers. That's something to look at. But it just feels like, you know, may, maybe I'm like, like I should I feel like I should be closer to, to – to truth on this than I am trash because like you just look at all the indicators right now and there are a bunch of red flags, but I just feel like you look at the personnel of George and Leonard. Once you have Morris back, I would expect just like the everything to normalize a little bit. I think rebounding is going to end up being the issue for them. Defensive rebounding, but looking at fouls and forcing turnovers, I don't know if that just becomes like remains this huge issue for them. I think I'm going to oversimplify it and just say they were fifth in defensive rating last year. And and I don't think the personnel has changed significantly enough for them to fall. Yeah. Montrose Harrell was not the glue. Of no. The and I think Lou Williams is going to play all, you know, Lou Williams might play less also as a potential trade candidate, I think, but you know, yeah, he's already not. playing less too, which is why this is so weird. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, if we really haven't talked to a lot of Clippers, but, uh, they're to me still just right, right there. I think the, you know, if if last season had ended differently, like if they'd made the conference finals, which obviously they could have, and have put up a good fight, like I wouldn't have really any doubts about them being awesome on both ends. But just because of what happened, now there's this stigma that like, well, something's wrong, and these personalities aren't going to work. But um, yeah, I think I think they have as good a chance to be a top five defense as any, as anybody, you know, including the mighty Pelicans probably. I believe you had one more about a certain Kings prospect. 
<laughs> Hold on, I uh, see his his dad tweeted again. Um, <laughs> Wait, can we talk about how his dad tweeted, deleted the tweet, but then quote tweeted someone who tweeted the deleted tweet? Is Paul Pierce running Marvin Bagley's <laughs> senior juniors uh, Twitter account, or or am I running it? Because I, I mean, no, I don't know. Like he, yeah, it's there were some. It's difficult to unpack like how why it happened in that, <laughs> in that way. <laughs> that's that's only the second strangest part, I guess. Uh, yeah. So if, for people that don't know, I can't imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know what happened. But basically, Marvin Bagley's dad said, you know, tweeted trade him, based more or less. Um, and then De'Aaron Fox's dad said, yeah, trade him, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, by the way, if you want to like choose a side in terms of like the, you know, the Kings, uh, factions, you probably are going to want to be on De'Aaron Fox's side. Uh, no, it's so yeah. Truth or trash. Marvin Bagley's got to go. Like they got, they should just trade him. As someone who's been higher on Bagley the most, I'm just going to call trash. Uh, the, I think he's getting like, forcing it on offense now too much from the Kings games that I've seen where he's like, I, I can't remember which game it was, but I feel like he aggressively just like told someone to get out of his way so that he could just really work in the post and then just bonk up a, a shot. I could, I, it's getting to the point where it's tough to really believe in him. Like the numbers are not great, but I still just look at the way he ended his rookie season and there was just such flow offensively. He was hitting shots from the perimeter off the catch. I just feel like that player is still in like I don't know why that player would be gone, to be honest. There's not anyone here in Sacramento that's like monopolized touches relative to that season. You have Harrison Barnes is still relatively low lift there. You still have De'Aaron Fox. Tyrese Halliburton when he's healthy is super low usage. I'm not there yet, but the fact that I and I also don't know how accurately parents speak for their children in this case, but you have to believe that one of the fathers, De'Aaron Fox's or Marvin Bagley's is like really in tune to what his son's feeling. So either Fox wants Bagley out or Bagley actually wants out or both. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to, I'll paraphrase it. I, Ramona Shelburne on the jump today said they were talking about it and said something to the effect of Marvin Bagley's. We, we, those of us in the business know that Marvin Bagley's father is a, to put it nicely, influential figure. I think influential was the word in his son's life, which to me is just, like that's as much as she could say comfortably without saying like this guy, you know, what a so you know, like so and so. I I think like it's a Lavar Ball situation potentially in terms of like he's probably in ownership's ear. He's he's definitely he, he knows that he's he's made he's he did this when Dave Yeager was the coach. He's you know questioned Yeager and was like make you know uh argue, arguing for his son to play more all this stuff. The thing for me is. Even if none of this had happened, even if there wasn't now this, to me, it's a significant issue because I do think that if Fox's dad is saying, yeah, trade him, I, I, to me, that is at least some evidence that the guys on the team that matter are kind of like, yeah, we don't, we're not in on him um, because I don't feel like, you know, that would, it, maybe that's reading too much into it, but throw all that out to me. The theory of Bagley, and also throw out the Luca thing, which nobody in Sacramento will ever throw out. That it could have been, it could have been Luca. Right. And the best part is there were there were talks that the, one of the reasons that that then Kings GM Vladi Divac didn't draft Luca is because he had a bad relationship with Luca's father. <laughs> like you can't make this up. So throw that out too. 
Um, the theory of Bagley as as a player in the modern NBA like just never made sense to me okay. because he's essentially like a positionless guy. It, now tweeners are good now if you can be like a three or a four, like that's a good thing. But he's the wrong kind of tweener where it's like a four point five. He's a four point five. He's like he's like a John. You know, John Collins is the easy comp, but John Collins has a ton of offensive game. Is like a three level scorer. You at least have that. Bagley, you know, has not demonstrated a three-point shot, has not shot well from two-point range, despite, like, just obviously great athleticism. He's off the floor super fast. He's a lefty, which always is a little bit of an advantage. He's extremely left-handed, though. Um, And defensively, can't defend the rim and might even be worse trying to guard mobile fours. Can't guard – there's no way he guards below a four on the perimeter. Can't do it. So I just – you know – the theory of him, like his best case outcome, I don't know what it ever was, like on a good team, Amari Stoudemire or something, like, you know, which would have been incredible. He's never touching that. But that type of player where it's like super athletic, he can be a dive guy, um, you'll, you'll live with the defensive, uh, you know, negatives. He's just, he's not even that. Um, and he hasn't been healthy. And now you got all this other stuff that I just said we'd ignore. So, you know, there's always ways to repair situations and like Luke Walton getting fired could be one of those. Yeah. Um, considering that, you know, he and buddy healed had their issues and you know, those, which have tamped down. But I think, it, I think it's true. I think he's got to go. I think, you know, there, there is talent there, as you say, like there's a chance that just get him somewhere where he can play, where there's a fresh start, all the cliches and maybe it looks better, but um, I just don't see a way out. Where do you put him? He's making 9 million this year and 11 million, basically, I think, what is it? 11, 11.3 million next year. And I'm just like, what's the team that's taking a chance on Marvin Bagley right now? Okay. See, just let's stockpile young guys and see what happens. Like it it would have to be that. I thought Chicago, if they don't want to pay marketing, like is Bagley in something small for marketing, maybe. I think Markkinen's way better. He's than way better, but it's like he's probably going to cost you Joe Harris or Marcus Morris money if he keeps playing like this. You know, four years and seventy million or something like that. Do you want to give that to him? I'm just no. <laughs> I just don't know what team you like. Those are OKC is a good one. I just can't think of another team that's going to be like, yeah, we'll take a flyer on Marvin Bagley and we'll give you something in return like you could send him in the Knicks cap space but like are you salary dumping Marvin Bagley right that I mean I was boy if it gets to that point that would be crazy but no I it it would just have to be a team just go down to the bottom of the standings Detroit like just somewhere that like you know winning is not not a realistic thing and it's maybe not the number one priority for this year you just give Bagley a ton of minutes and just let's because really he's never averaged. He's averaged basically 25 a game, 25 minutes a game for all three years of his career. And, you know, 13 games last year is total write off of a season. Um, just see what he could do just because then you'll know. Uh, you know, I think I think there are teams that could talk themselves into him and, and it being worth it. And the thing is, though, like he's not an insignificant investment because of his draft slot. As you said, like he's going to make some money. So he's basically like a mid-level guy in terms of salary uh, with the bonus of team control. If, if you decide you want to keep him, but it's not an insignificant acquisition. If you're going to, if you're going to just, and you, you would know, be selling low at this super point. low. Like super you wouldn't low. even have a chance to sell medium. <laughs> no, no. That, but it seems clear to me that the Kings are just not going to look. If I mean, like, look, look if they're not going to, and I, this might be the point, like the part where, okay, get rid of Luke Walton and maybe some of this changes. Like if you're not going to put, and I think this is a, you know, a problem in general 
but play faster. Sacramento is eighth yeah. in uh, average possession time right now. They should be faster than that. Like, there's no reason, uh, you know, they should be, to me, they should be first in pace after every single defensive rebound or just live, like live ball turnover. And wow. if you're not going to play like that, at t- like Bagley is probably going to be most valuable as a floor runner in those situations. So just get out and um, play even faster. I think that's right. I, I mean, like, I don't think Walton is like, if, if we're apportioning blame in all this, like, I think Walton is justified in giving Bagley the role that he's given him so far. But I do think there's a lot of evidence that suggests that Walton just isn't, you know, like a, a top, you, whatever you want to say, a top 20. He's a bottom 10 coach. Yeah, probably. like Sacramento's 13th in transition frequency this year. That's just, yeah. not, that's just, that's too low. You, De'Aaron Fox, first of all. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and if you want to get Buddy Heald clean looks, like get him into scattered situations. And I think Ty Halberton, too, like that guy. We have. I, we should talk more about him. Um, so he's good. my he's rookie of the year pick. Did you pick him before the season as rookie of the year? Yeah, oh, the injury's probably going to hurt him at this point, just because he won't have the volume of Lamelo, probably. But yeah, I, I think I don't. I I think rookie of the year is is tough for a player like him because he's not going to average seventeen a game or whatever, you know. But I think he to me he's clearly the the rookie that will have the biggest impact on winning like it's not it's, it's not close he might already be net neutral to positive on defense oh no he is and he he's really smart he's always in the right place and he he does like my favorite thing which is such a niche thing but he'll 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 pre-plan not pre-plan but he will drive with intent and specific intent of i know i'm going to beat this guy to this side and i'm going to draw this defender and the second that defender takes a step towards me, the ball's out of my hands, and that defender's guy has an open shot. He has like just, just knows he, how to play, and he plays so well off others too. He had in yeah. when he got injured, I think he had an effective field goal percentage north of seventy on jumpers, which probably like a thirty shot sample size, but I don't care. I wanted the Knicks to take him so bad, and uh, they did not. Obi Toppin seems like he'll be he'll be fun. Uh, so I I had a last one here okay. uh, that we don't need to spend too much time on. But James Harden will be traded before the March 21st trade deadline, and it will not be to one of the six teams that he has named as a preferred destination, truth or trash. Truth that he'll be traded by that deadline. Um, Trash that it will be to one of the teams he has not named. So you think he'll be in Portland, Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, or oh god, what was what was the other one? Why am I blanking on that one? Did you say Philly? Did I not say Philly? Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee, Portland, Miami, Miami. I don't like any of those. I mean, look, so a, the Sixers, this... if they're playing this well, like this was almost a bad start for the J. Like if you're looking for James Harden returns, maybe there'll be another team that gets desperate. So I don't want to go that far, but when you're looking at the teams that he named, uh. I don't think Boston does it just because it doesn't – they just don't make these trades. I know they traded they for Kyrie Irving. It, but, but after he goes somewhere else, it will be leaked that they were close. They were close, they, yeah. Do you give up Jalen to. Brown right now for age 31, James Harden? It's just, that's a tough decision. But Miami I, I just doesn't – I don't see it. Like if you went Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and all the picks plus salary filler, like does that even come like, – like does that do it? Like that just doesn't wow me. And then Brooklyn and Philadelphia specifically – Brooklyn never had the best offer to begin with unless they were just going to unload every single pick. But I think it's been pretty clear that James Harden is not what that team is missing. And then Philly, 
is atop the East. And if they stay there through like 12 to 15 games, that becomes a problem. And it's not going to be Milwaukee. That was a, that was the fact no. that he named them was a farce. Like that just had starter. Yeah. And uh, Portland would be interesting, but McCollum, the injured Collins, Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, and then every single pick that you can, you know, um, throw in there, which is weird because I think their protections on the pick that they gave up this summer in the Robert Covington trade really leak out. So they would have to like futz and fiddle with that. Basically. I just don't, I don't see a pathway to, for him to get to one of those teams. It's gotten to the point where it feels like Boston is like the cleanest destination for him. And I just don't see that happening. I, yeah, I'm so terrible at these because it's like, well, clearly they got to trade him and clearly they will. But then when you start going through the teams, I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think if I had to pick, and I'm sure this will contradict something I thought or wrote like within the last month, um, but also maybe something that six weeks ago, I said, we will line up with something I said six weeks ago. Cause you just go back and forth on this. I feel like it's still the nets only because it seems clear to me that they are interested in names and they have built their sort of whole identity around let's get stars and the Dinwiddie thing maybe opens up an Avenue where you can justify like, Hey, yeah. Even though we just spent a whole bunch of time saying they clearly don't need more scoring. We need someone to fill this role. Lavert and other stuff, Allen, whatever, you know, can still get you there. Um, I don't think it would be a good fit. I don't know what the percentage chance of the Nets being the team is. It's not high, but I think it might to me it might be the highest still. Because Philly was the obvious other one, and I think Philly's just gonna be too good and they're gonna say, Well, we just needed to see if this was gonna work. Yeah, the Ben does, Simmons so. thing was always a tough like yeah. under contract basically for the next half decade, 24 all NBA yeah. type already. That's just tough. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's Brooklyn and it's like, but, but again, it's, I, I sort of hate it. You know, I, I feel like everyone's mentioned Toronto now. I'd like to state, I don't want to do a victory lap because I'm wrong all the time, but we had a podcast where I suggested Toronto like way before this went mainstream. It was before OG signed his extension. So the uh-huh. framework was OG and Fred Van Fleet and picks rather than, uh, Pascal Siakam, what it is now, if you're trying to build a trade around Pascal Siakam, the Raptors are in trouble at this point. I think if I'm the Raptors, I still might. I believe in Pascal Siakam, and I know it's tougher with the poison pill, but I still might try and go the Van Fleet, like, OG route. I'm not giving up both OG and Siakam, though. That's not something I would do. And then I kind of, I don't think they should, but, like, just for the for what they could need and the way that they're already playing so slow, I'd like to see him in New Orleans. That'd be something that would interest me. I mean, that would really, I mean, it would completely change. It changes their timeline. And there's like the, it reeks of, we tried to speed this up with Anthony Davis too soon and haphazardly. And then it reeks of that again. But at least it's not DeMarcus Cousins. It's James, it's James Harden. Like, I, I mean, it's so difficult to imagine what that team would look like. And that's not a bad one though, really, because the Pelicans do have like the pieces that should be interesting. And, and I think, as we've said, you know, they've got some defense to sort of, you know, make up for, for Harden, depending on what they'd have to give up to do it. But, but yeah, I don't know. Tor- Toronto is interesting, too. It makes – make Toronto with the 1-5 and five start suddenly seems way more likely than it did, you know, two I just don't – how do you sell that around Pascal Siakam? I, I guess maybe in NBA circles they're more level-headed than NBA Twitter, I would like to think. So – Hope so. Siakam probably is still like, oh, yeah, we have a chance to get him who's under contract for another – what is it, four years, five years, whatever it is. 
uh, he is under contract for four years. Well, three years after this one. Like, maybe that's something. And if they're willing to attach stuff, like, all these picks to it, that'd make a ton of sense. I know people have mentioned Denver. I would, if you told me that they got to keep um, Michael Porter Jr. All, or Jamal Murray in that scenario, I wouldn't hate it. But then I'm like, that's just so not what Denver needs right now. Like, he's just, they need a star defensive wing if that's the route they're going to go. So that's like, they don't make a ton of sense. And we talked about this briefly, but the Warriors just from an asset standpoint, feel like the only other team that could realistically field an offer and then have the incentive to, to get involved because yeah, you could probably talk yourself into some other teams, but you know, was Orlando going to let throw in all their picks plus Cole Anthony and like, they don't even have attractive stuff after that. Like moving Jonathan Isaac. Now he's one injured to just sign an extension. So there's the poison pill provision to, to deal with. Uh, Atlanta, no, I just wouldn't. I don't want to see James Harden and Trey Young on the same team. Just no. Oh my god, can you imagine? No. If we'll talk talk about my turn, your turn. I mean, just like <laughs> well, it'd be my turn, your turn at the foul line, just nonstop. That would be there to all of their games. So I just don't. I don't think it's going to be to one of the six teams because I feel like there's a harder path to figure out packages there. I probably agree with you that if it's going to be one of those six, it feels like it'll be the Nets. But I feel like because of how wide open the league is right now, where I think you look at it and you say, okay, there's the Lakers, there's the Clippers, then there's team, is it Philly, is it Milwaukee, and then there's everybody else. Like, it feels like there are only three teams that are going to belong in that upper echelon with, like, a whole mash of teams that could be in that second tier where you thought Denver and Dallas were going to be. Like, now that's also populated by, oh, yeah, the Pacers are there. Yeah, maybe the Hawks are there. Oh, the Nets are there. Oh, are the... You know, the Jazz are there. The Suns are there. So it feels like there's going to be a team that talks itself into doing something wild this year. And I don't think it's going to be one of the six. I, I, I'm just I'm betting on the field here, which normally isn't too bold. No, but it's not a bad bet. Uh, you know, as I'm looking down the teams, the one that actually sort of would have made sense had they not already dealt for the Rockets' other disgruntled star is Washington. Like if they <laughs> could have figured out a way to just – you know, Beal for Harden are the principles and you just decide who's given up more and you just go with that. Like that would have made weirdly like a lot of sense just because I think you put, if you're taking on Harden, like this is why the Nuggets just feel like such a just impossible fit to me, you you know, because the Nuggets play a very specific way and it is Nikola Jokic has the ball and passes the ball and that's their identity you could not introduce James Harden into that without just totally upending that whole thing. Washington doesn't have an identity. Washington wants to be relevant. Washington, you know, it's just that that's the type of team, I guess. Orlando falls into that category too, right. like you said, but man, I don't know. It, it, it's it's a, it's a mess. It's almost surprising to me that he hasn't been traded yet. And but but that's because that's, like this, we just said, you can't find any place. Well, it's also this is very clearly they're waiting to see if Philly puts Ben Simmons on the table. Because that trounces anything else that you could get. It seems pretty clear you can't do better than that based on what we just said. And so unless Philly has just outright actually told you no, they're like you're probably just waiting, like to see if they implode. But if you get to a point where they're, hey, it's February one and they're still atop the East, that's probably where things would get super interesting. And look, he keeps adding teams to his list. He's up to six. He only had two originally. Yeah, it's exponential growth. Eventually, he'll just be like, I don't know, man, anywhere. Just It doesn't matter. G League, G League's in play now, too. Yeah, send me to the G League bubble. That's definitely something that Harden <laughs> want. Grant, this was great and super long, as per mostly usual for us. If you guys are not following Grant on Twitter, please remedy that post-haste 
at GT underscore Hughes. He covers the NBA spectacularly for Bleacher Report. So again, at GT underscore Hughes. Grant, thank you so much again for hopping on and giving me so much of your time. And you know full well by now that you'll be getting a text message sooner or later to come back. Always looking forward to it. <laughs>